0: Wow. What a great welcome. It's uh, amazing to be here. Uh, Really been looking forward to coming. I love the spirit that is in this place. Um, We had an amazing prayer time um, uh, when we were praying for the mission at our church, and it was really good to go through those hours of midnight till six in the morning with uh, some of your intercessors, and uh, we had an, a, a, a really deep, you know, we've, we were able to go places. We were able to do a communion that took two and a half hours, <laughs> which, which I'd wanted to do, where we looked at the Psalms that Jesus would have sung and, and spoken during their, his Passover. And, um, so, and, it, and it was amazing the way that, um, that, that it just seemed and felt as if we were one church, Uh, And I thought that was amazing. And I've loved the fact that we've come together at different congregations, each with its own bit of flavor, uh, and that we all worship uh, the same God and believe in the transformation power of Jesus. So I love that. So I send you uh, greetings, yes, from uh, uh, the Burton churches, but also from Riverside. Um, I'm going to share a passage, uh, Isaiah 54, with you this morning. And to me, it's if you had one passage that you could have written on your gravestone, this would be it. It would be a pretty big gravestone, <laughs> but it's, it's a passage that God uh, gave to me as an individual going back in the late 90s uh, at a time when we were looking as a church where we were going. We didn't have a building. We were being forced out of where we were and uh, everything seemed a bit bleak. And out of that, God spoke Isaiah 54, and it just opened up. And so um, it's the one thing as a church that we keep going back to and reminding ourselves over, because I believe it's a promise for the church today. It's a promise for you and I as individuals as well. So it's a beautiful passage, and we're, we're going to read it together. If you would join with me. Now, um, this is in the King James, which unfortunately I'm not used to. So bear with me if I get it wrong, but let's, let's say it together. And it's quite long, but it, it's superb. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing, and cry aloud that thou didst not travail with child. Far more are the children of the desolate than the children of the said the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither can they be confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, says thy God. For a small moment I have forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little of I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is unto the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over them, so I have sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills will be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed. Sayest the Lord, that have mercy on thee. O thou afflicted, tossed with the tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colours, and lay thy foundations with sapphires. And I will make thy widows of agates, and thy gates of carbuncles, and all thy burdens, Borders of pleasant stones, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. In righteousness thou hast been established, for thou shalt not fear for pressure, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold. They shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whoever shall be gathered against them shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument of his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, shall shalt put them. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Amen. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Uh, as I said, I'm not really used to the King James, um, so I tend to use the NIV, and I'm going to quote. Uh, from the message as well, so forgive me if uh, you don't like the message. I think the message, in part, is so so accurate, and in parts is so so off. And you've just got to know which bits you to to really trust the message. But if you look at some of the original Hebrew and the way the message in, interprets, it can be it's a real eye, eye opener in places. So as I've said, this is a word that was given to Israel, and really to do this word justice you've got to look at the previous chapter, Isaiah 53. Because in Isaiah 53, the prophet speaks and foretells the coming of Jesus. And so what you've got is, we've split them into, into chapters, but actually they're one. And so uh, what you've got here is that Israel's, one of their darkest hours, God through his prophet speaks a word of promise and of truth. And it's a beautiful word. The history, which I could go into, which I won't go too much into, but is that you've got Israel and you've got the remnant that was in Babylon have began to already come back into Jerusalem and more are still to come. But when they come back, the place is in ruins. The temple has uh, been robbed. Everything, all, all the sacred objects have disappeared. The, 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 uh, the cities that were fortresses for Israel have been laid, okay? And there is despair. There is utter despair. The people are saying, <clears throat> what have we come back to? What is this God who promises us so many things, but we've come back to a place that is desolate, a place of where there is no hope, and we 're expected to live and to uh, renew our faith in God in this place It's, it's a bit like the children of Moses, okay uh, and how they come out. Um, they look around them, and you've got all of the history, how God built up the nation of Israel and how it split and gets divided, parts of it gets carted off. The part that thought that they were the lucky ones get to remain, but actually. They, they fare far worse in the long run. And uh, you've, got a, you've got a God that seemed to abandon his people. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that we can get drawn into that mentality that can look around us and say, "Ah, oh, you know what, when I gave my life, I thought that I was on some merry-go-round of uh, blessing and uh, nobody really told me that I was going into a battle. Nobody really warned me that actually there was a cost and commitment to this, and I've bought into this, you know, God loves me and is looking out for my interests all the time, and no harm will ever come to me. I'll never be sick. I'll never be ill. I'll never go through divorce. I'll never become bankrupt. I'll never have a redundancy in my life. I'll never go through because I've got this golden ticket that allows me to bypass all of it. Now, we know that's, that is not true. In actual fact, for the believer, it can be the opposite because we're called to be a witness, to be sought and light. And for some people, that's a harder journey than for others. But God is faithful. This, I love doing what I do leading a church. One of the things that I really enjoy doing is marrying people. And that's such great fun. And you marry people that have gone through divorce where their whole life seems to have been wrecked at one point, And you're you know, you're starting off a new covenant and a new relationship and you get to share their history and talk to them about where they've come from and share their lives. And it's lovely. This is God's marriage vows to you and I and to the people of Israel at that time. He is renewing that relationship when he speaks in Isaiah 54. It is a love promise from God to us, his bride. So, it's so it resonates so much. And I love the pictures in this. You see, I'm a guy, so I love, I love blood and guts. I love Old Testament. You know, it really appeals to me. I love some of the language that you read in the Bible. I was at Bible college for three years, and we used to try and find the most obscure text in the Bible that was the most ghastly or bloodly or whatever it was. And we, you know, we as guys would just love doing that and trying to interpret that. So I love the imagery that Isaiah uses. He doesn't, he's not PC in any shape or form. Right? He goes straight to it. He uses language that the people there will understand. So I love that about the way. We get a sense here of God's people saying, God, this is unfair. This is unfair. What have you done? You've abandoned me. You get a sense of them crying out in in anguish of doing that. And he talks about... He takes the image of a woman who can't do anything other than get pregnant. We have a couple in our church, and they've, uh, they've adopted a, f- a family of children, and that family keeps growing. So they're now on their fourth, all from the same mother. Because this w- woman just has to look at a man, and she becomes pregnant. And you kind of think, and, and there's so many issues in the background with the, the families from, from this woman's from down south, so many issues with drug taking and all the other bits and pieces that go with it. And social services don't seem to be able to stop her getting pregnant. You know. And I can remember a time. I've got, a, I've got three sisters, so please pray for me, because it's hard when you're the only lad. But my eldest sister, I can rem- remember her saying to me one time. Uh, she was, um, she's retired now, but she was the personal assistant to the head of the council down in Gloucester. And she said, her and her husband were trying for IVF, and trying to have a child, but nothing worked. And she, I remember her saying to me, this is so unfair. She says, nearly every week I'm having to deal with social services, getting involved in cases of, Women that get pregnant with a fall of the hat and don't seem to value what they've got are not capable of looking after. And there's me and Richard and we want to get pregnant. We want to give a home. And we can't. And it's so unfair because now we're too old to adopt a baby. You know. And so she's lived with that unfairness in her life. And that's had consequences in her life. You know. Um, And so you get this picture of God's people saying, well, this is un- unfair. You promised us that we would be fertile. You promised us that we would have everything. And what's happening? So I just wonder, what are the things that you think are unfair in your life? Because I'm sure we've all got them. I remember saying to somebody once, you know what you need to do? You need to go onto a hill. You need to... Um, Rant and rave and swear at God. Forgive me for those that think you shouldn't do that. But God has no problems with me ranting and raving at him. As long as, at the end of it, when I've worked it out of my system, I come to the point of saying, actually, God, sorry, you know better. God lives, can live with our frustration. What he wants is to come to a point where we will be so desperate for him that he can then move. Yeah? And there will be times in our lives when we are brought to that point of desperation when we say to God, Lord, this is unfair. Lord, can you do something? And we're willing, rather than to act in our own steam and our own qualities and characteristics that we've got. And I don't know about you, but You know, my church, we have perfect parents in our church. You know, I've got three children. And you'd sit there sometimes and think, oh no, what they do now? You know, they're running riot. And you'd have all these older parents that would be, in my day, that never happened. Yeah? And so you can look across at each other and think, well, it's not fair. You know, it's not fair. They've got perfect kids. They never have any problems with theirs. Or it's not fair. They've got a perfect job. I'd love to be in their shoes. It's not fair. They've got a perfect house. Yeah? They've got all the things that I haven't. And you can look across and think it's unfair. Now, the great thing, you know, they go on the best holidays. They have the best-behaved children. Now, the great thing is, as I often used to tell to my children just to wind them up, life, who said life was ever going to be fair? Yeah? And they don't actually see what happens behind closed doors. And so there actually is no such thing as a perfect marriage and perfect children. Yeah? We're working. We're on a journey where we're becoming more Christ-like. And that sometimes brings up issues. So you get people here, this the children of Israel are turning to God and crying out, it's not fair. And in the midst of all of this, Isaiah stands up and he proclaims, look, Jesus is coming. But not only that, he stands up and says, whoa, hold on. You are, your future is going to be greater than your past. And that's a promise that resonates even today over Israel. And over you and I, because we're inheritors of, what, of all that they stood in. Yeah? He says, they gave you the Gentiles. Yeah. So we're children of God because of what Jesus did. So I want to encourage you, if you're all today thinking, you know, there's this big thing in my life, and it's not fair, to hold firm and hold fast and trust in God. I remember Karen and I have got three children. Our youngest um, was diagnosed with cerebral palsy when he was born. I still get emotional about it because you know it's one of those things where doctors said to us, he's not looking, he can't see, he's not using his left side. Uh, you better start preparing for yourself for the fact that he's always going to have to go to a special school. He's not going to be like other children. He's not going to be able to run. He's not going to be able to walk. He's he's going to need uh, special care. Out of the three levels of cerebral, cerebral palsy, he was diagnosed with the middle one. Okay? And they said, start preparing yourself. And I remember saying to Karen, I am not going to accept this as God's word over my child. There is no way. We had a friend of us, who some of you will know, who was a solicitor. And he said, you need to sue the hospital for their lack of care at birth. And we said, how can we do that? God is in this child. I'm not going to sue a hospital that tried to do their very best in bringing him into the world. I'm not going to play that game. And so, and he said, oh, you'll get thousands. We said no. And we refused to accept God didn't heal him overnight, but God, year on year on year, brought healing to him. Today, he's at Worcester, he's done a, a, an MA, he did a, a first. Yay. You know, he got a first at university, so he's at Abel. Now, I know it's cutting and pasting in graphic design, which doesn't really count as a degree. <laughs> Sorry, son, if you do watch this. And we're really proud of him. You know, he's able to say to his brother and sister, well, I've got a first, you two only got off 2-1. When he was 16, he used to run rings around my other son in football. You wouldn't know today that he was ever diagnosed because of the healing power of God. So... We just have a Jesus who is able to intervene. Now, we'd, we'd have loved him, whatever. But we refuse, number one, to have that stigma attached to him. So even if he, if he was going to be a child that had disabilities, we would never treat him as a child with disabilities. We would never want to limit his life. And we had battles with his school in the past because of, with his disability, so-called, there came other issues. But he, today, he leads worship in a church in Worcester. He's become an Anglican, so we've, you've got to pray for him. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you know, what God has done. We have got a faithful God. You know, and the word this morning to you is we have a God who understands where we're walking, but promises us to be with us. We have a God who is not aloof, who is not uncaring, who understands everything, who will bind off our broken hearts and answer prayers. And I love, you know, verse 2, it says, "Clear." I'm reading from the message, clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large, spread, think big. You know, I'm a visionary, so I love, I look five years to ten years down the road. That's uh, my wife has to struggle with that, and my li- elders have to struggle with me, and I struggle with being a pastor in a church because of that. I love it, and God's given me a real heart for people, but I'm always thinking ahead, and I love this—that God is saying, "Don't look where you are now; start planning for where you're going to be." Yeah, I—I I had we had uh, I go to a leadership uh, conference up uh, in Sheffield, Dave Gilpin's church. Go go there every year. And um, they had an American guy who was big into um, uh, mentoring and uh, mentoring leaders. And he said, you know what I did first off? He said, I believe God's word. So I, in my house, had a picture board. And I put on there a copy of a check for £10,000. I put on there a picture of a house I wanted to live in. I put on there photos of my wife and my children. And I put on there promises from God's word. So that every day I would look and claim those things. And he said, I very quickly got through the 10,000. He said, I then wrote a check for a million pounds. Okay, and this is money he wanted to give to the church. Massive amount of money. But he said, you know, within 10 years, I was able to write that check. Now, he obviously, in his line of work, was saying you need to visualize the promises of God. Pray into them. And this is what the prophet says to God's people. Don't look at where you are. Look at where you're going to go. Start planning. Because presumption isn't going to get you there, but I am. And God speaks a word. So many of us will have words that God has spoken to in the past. Some of those lie dormant. Yeah, I had a word when I was ten years old that I was going to be a vicar in the church. Yeah, didn't get saved till I was nineteen. From a totally unchurch background, just happened to go into a church when I was ten, and I said, "No, thank you, God. I want nothing to do with that at all." But that word was over me. And that word came to life. So if you've got a word that God has promised, don't give up on it. Okay? Sometimes we expect things immediately. God has promised to be faithful in the words that he speaks over. And that's what he does here. So dig deep, it says. It says here, you're going to need lots of elbow room for growing. You're going to take over whole nations. You're going to resettle those abandoned cities that are destitute. Destitute. Don't be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed in it. I'm not going to leave you hanging out there, Israel. You're not going to be embarrassed. I'm going to see that this comes to to fruition. And I just love that message for us today. I love that out of the winds of destruction comes the seeds of hope. You know, you look at this church, out of the winds of a fire came the seeds of this. Yeah? Sometimes we get too wrapped up in the fire and the destruction. And I know it's hard, but God says, hold on in there. Because actually, out of this are going to come the seeds of something new that are going to bless you. One of the things I also love about this passage is it talks about change. And, uh, you know, I would encourage you in your support of the leadership team here. Being a leader can be one of the... uh, People often say, well, what do you do with your time? You know, and they don't see that it's 24-7. And I don't say that to get any um, praise out of it. It's just what it is. As if you're called into leadership, you are called to lead, okay, and you're called to make difficult decisions and I can remember uh, taking over our church and uh, wanting to lead in a new direction and realizing that actually some of the people are not ready for the vision that I've got ten years' time. So we looked at how I looked at how we could do stepping stones to get them there. But as part of that, there are people who sometimes have to make way for others. There are ministries that God will lead you out of as he's led you into. He'll always lead you into something else, but change comes at a cost. When he speaks his word about lengthening your stakes, you know, stretching your tent, it's a little bit like childbirth. There's a lot of stretch. There's a lot of pain. You'll know this. (laughs) But actually, something good that comes out of it. So I would encourage you that if Jenny and Steve and the leadership come and say, well, I know you've been doing this for a long time, but actually we feel God uh, wants to change the direction where we're going with this. Trust them. It's difficult, but trust them. Because they see the bigger picture. God has put on the leadership, the ability to look ahead and to look beyond. It always used to amaze me the number of people I would get come up to me and talk about their bit. So whether that would be, you know, a, a worship leader would only see worship. An intercessor would only see prayer. A person of the word would say, we've got to be preaching the word more. And I'd be thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. But actually, there's a bigger picture here. And so we get to see just our little bit of the tent making. They're called to see all of it. So go easy on them. Encourage them, all right? Make sure that they know that they're loved. (laughs) It it can be very lonely. It can be very lonely. But it says in verse 5, For your maker is your bridegroom. The God, I love this in the message, it says the God of the angel armies. This is who we've got, angel armors. The Redeemer is the Holy of Israel, known as God of the whole earth, yeah? You were like an abandoned wife, devastated with grief, and God has welcomed you in. I love that about this passage, that wherever we've gone from, come from, does not dictate where we're going. It really doesn't. You know, we need to understand who we are in God, who we are in Jesus. You're like a woman married young and then left. Oh, what what imagery? You know, God is wanting for us to renew our wedding vows to him, both as a church and as an individual this morning. Will you renew your wedding vow to the work of this church? Will you say, I will stand with you, Stephen Jenny? I will commit myself to you. I will recognize that sometimes that's going to be difficult and I'm going to have to lay parts of myself down. But I'll stand with you for what you're building here. We have to say with God, I will stand, Lord, when I don't see what you've promised because I will trust that my Redeemer is coming, and he will rescue me. And that's, that's what, verse 6 and 8 says, my love will not walk away from you. My covenant commitment of peace won't fall apart. God has compassion on you. God is committed to you and I. You know, that, that always amazes me, that God limits himself Through you and I. I don't get it. When I get to heaven, I want to say, why? You know, either, why did you give me the the ability to make my own choices in life? I'd much rather become a Christian and God done something and become a robot. It'd be so much easier. Seriously. But no, God says, actually, Daryl, I'm going to expect you to tackle who you are as an individual and not accept yeah. so if you're ageist or you're sexist or uh, you, you know, uh, whatever it is that comes up in life I'm going to expect you to tackle that I'm going to be with you helping you but actually this is, this is a, and actually there are things that you should be doing that won't get done unless you do them they really won't now God in his infinite mercy will do something different through somebody else And we lose out. But there are things that only you can do that you are called to do as an individual. And we need to be aware that God puts his hope in you and me. And that humbles me because I know what I'm like. It really humbles me. It sometimes scares me. And it makes me always say, Lord, am I doing the right thing here? Because I'm held accountable by him. Now, I've got a little gift for everybody. I won't go on too much longer, but I've got a little gift for you. So, Dave, would you mind, in the baskets, I've got some gemstones for everybody. So I want you to grab a pass them around if you can. Uh, for you to grab a bag, there should be enough for everybody. Because the passage that we're looking at has this fantastic imagery about the walls being built, yeah? Now, when Isaiah prophesies into this, he sees and knows that Jerusalem is in in rubble. He knows that strongholds have been taken down by God's enemies. He knows that the nations are all around laughing at the children of Israel, saying, ha! You will never be strong again. You will never be a threat to us. You will never be the representative of God on this earth. Because we've actually, while you've been in Babylon captivity, we've desolated the place. Okay? Isaiah knows all that. God sees that and he said, actually, I'm going to rebuild you. Not only am I going to build Israel and the temple, but I'm going to do something more than that. I'm going to build a nation who are more than the children of Israel. That's you and me. I'm going to build a holy nation. And they're going to be like precious stones. So what I've got for you is um, some gemstones from Africa. Okay? And uh, I have to confess to you that when I got these on the internet, I looked at them, put them all into bags, and I thought, do I take out some of the ones that don't look so nice? Exactly. Exactly. No, you don't. I mean, I've got one here, so uh, I could give you the list of what what's in there, but they're, they're gemstones, and they're beautiful. And I was looking at some of the ones that on face value don't look so beautiful. So I don't know what you've picked out. You might be looking at your neighbor's gemstone and thinking, that looks prettier than mine. There's a message in here for us, yeah? There's a number, couple of messages, actually that number one, we should not look at our neighbor and think their gemstone's better. (laughs) Okay? Because whatever they've picked is for them. We're all unique. Each of these gemstones has a uniqueness. Each of them have been forged by tremendous pressure. Each of them are carbon. Yeah? So they're just like us, carbon. But they've been forged in Africa, um, by some tremendous pressure. Now, one of the messages in this, for me, is I've got a a wood stove burner, and I use coal, because where we live, we're allowed to use real coal. And, you know, coal's good, and it's an amazing thing to burn if you've got this. It's actually better than wood. It's fiercer, stronger. But I was looking at thinking, well, actually, there's no difference between a piece of coal, and I wish I'd brought some in for you, and this gemstone that you've got on your hand. Other than this gemstone's had a lot more pressure on its life than that piece of coal. And coal's good. Coal burns. But, you know, once coals burned, that's it. It's good, life, it's good for life, for one life, and that's it. This, this will always be a gemstone. Very hard to break these things up, to, you, to destroy this. I can destroy a piece of coal. I can burn it in my, in my fire. Some of us think well, we're like a piece of coal, that God's used us once. He's not going to use us again. Some of us think, actually, that we're worthless, like a piece of coal. And they don't see us as a gemstone. They don't see themselves as a gemstone. And the beauty of this passage is Isaiah says, I am going to build a church out of you and me, out of gemstones. Each one of us is different. Each one of us is unique. But actually, when we're together, we form a wall. We form a kingdom. We form troops in battle. And we all play our different role. So I want to encourage you this morning. You know, if you're sat there thinking, "Ah, lonely me. Don't think. Remember, God says, I will choose you to build my church in this place. Yeah? So I love that about this, that imagery of sapphires and rubies. I don't think there are any sapphires in here, but there are some some pretty good uh, semi-precious stones in there that God is going to build us up and use us. And we need to recognize whether we're a ruby, a a diamond or a sapphire or a piece of, uh, I don't know, rose stone or something. But actually don't put value on the outside. Put value on what God has seen and how he's made you unique as an individual to build his church. So to conclude, really, I want us to think, are we willing to recommit ourselves? to God and to say to him I'm going to be your bride that's going to be spotless I'm going to walk where you tell me to walk I'm going to trust in you when everything is around me telling me not to and says everything's been robbed and I've got no future is that the moment that you're going to run or commit yourself back to him as his bridegroom. Are you going to recommit yourself to the work here and say, actually, I want to play my part. I want to recognize that actually, God, you've made me unique. And there's some things that I've gone through in life that aren't good, but actually they make me me. And as long as I give them back to you, as long as I ask forgiveness and have been healed from them, then you can use even those things to restore others, and to be used by you. I love verse 17. No weapon can hurt you that has ever been forged. None. The devil goes around, and the only ground the devil only ever has is the one that we let him. That's why he's so subtle, because we give him the ground. He's got no authority and no rights over you and I. Other than what we give him. So God is saying there is nothing that will come against you that you are not able to overcome in him. God is not a liar. He will do what he promises to do with his people. So will you trust him in those areas that you think, oh Lord, somebody's got it better? Oh Lord. Can I trust you in this? Lord, everything around me doesn't look as the promise that you've given me. Because our God is faithful. Our God is able to act. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we believe that uh, your Holy Spirit is speaking into the lives and the hearts of individuals here this morning. Lord, that there are some here that need to recognize that the scars of the past are just scars and not wounds. And actually, their future is greater than their past. There are some of us who you're calling to recommit that first love. There are some of us here who are walking through times of such hardness and difficulty that we despair and we cry out in anguish Lord we want to thank you that you are a God who is able to act who will not allow us to be put to shame who promises that we will inherit a kingdom and that we can inherit a life that is worthy of living or worthy of giving back to you Lord, we want to thank you that you are a God who sees beyond where we are and what we can become, that we are each unique, that we each have a part to play in your kingdom. So Holy Spirit, we pray that where there is healing that needs to happen, come Holy Spirit. Just ask you in the choir, if God has spoken, then just to put your hand up, that's just for between you and him, but just to put your hand up and say, Yes, I want more of you. Yes, I'm in a dark place at the moment and there are things that are not come true, but I'm going to hold fast in them. Lord, by your Spirit, come and minister to your people this morning. Come and bring truth and revelation. Come and speak that word over them that affirms who they are and what they have in you and where they will be in the future. Come and bring healing, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.